0: Hey guys, you're listening to the PhD Podcast, a show where I interview PhD students and discuss their project. In doing so, I hope to give students a chance to talk about their work and a chance to introduce the public to some new groundbreaking research. I'm your host, Wiedia Sikinika, or call me Mo. Let's roll. Hey guys, welcome to the PhD Podcast of Mo. The first person I'll be interviewing for this podcast is Steph Peroni. So how's the PhD going Steph?
1: It's going well. Um, I'm in my third and final year now so it's coming to the pointy end. So yeah, it's Ah. going well.
0: Alright, so the first question I'll ask everyone is describe your PhD project in two minutes.
1: Okay, so I am working on very broadly cardiovascular disease and I have two main streams to my project. Um, one of the streams is looking at a particular protein called heparinase in the disease. So um, we have some mice in which this protein is knocked out and we found that when we put these mice on a high fat diet um, the extent of um, cardiovascular disease development is actually decreased. So um, that's a pretty good indicating factor that this protein called heparinase is playing a role in the development of cardiovascular disease. And it's quite promising in terms of drug therapy and, and treatment for this disease. The other part of my project is looking at basic sort of science level of the disease. So in cardiovascular disease, there's the accumulation and buildup of plaques in your arteries. And basically this is a buildup of inflammatory cells and cholesterol and um, just a big inflammation process. And so one of the parts, um, one of the problems with, this is that those inflammatory cells are not being cleared efficiently as our body should be doing they're just building up and building up and building up leading to that, those plaques and so the second part of my project is looking at how we can um, manipulate the clearance of those cells that are dying and get them to stop building up and stop building up into those plaques so yeah awesome that's two minutes
0: no, that's two minutes yeah so so why did you decide to pick this project
1: so I was very interested in cardiovascular disease from lectures in undergrad. I remember in um, physiology we had some lectures about it, and I just remember being very interested in the topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always been very like health conscious and into fitness and looking after yourself and all that so sort of stuff. So how often do you go to the
0: gym every week then?
1: <laughs> a few times. A few times. Right this morning. Yeah. That count?
0: That's one in a week. Yeah. Yep. So I've been it's three Friday, times this week. So once in yeah. five days? No,
1: I've been three times. Good to hear, yep. That's all right. So yeah, I think I was just, yeah, I think the typical researcher thing is like, I'm going to find a cure for cancer, which is not what I was interested in, so...
0: Instead you want to find a cure for heart disease?
1: Yeah, which is the leading cause of death in the world, so I think it's Is it really? pretty relevant? It is. Okay, mm-hmm. interesting. Mm.
0: So you say heparinase plays a role with um, cardiovascular disease, so... Yeah. When you give your mice the fat diet, does this basically mean that you kind of feed mice like McDonald's essentially or like the mouse version of McDonald's or do you just give a high amount of food which has high fat in it?
1: No, so yeah, it is kind of the equivalent of, yeah, the equivalent of McDonald's and KFC. So it's formulated by um, a company that obviously does all of that sort of stuff and the composition of fats and cholesterol um, is different. So we specify exactly what type of diet we want and what percentage of fat and that sort of thing. So the mice are still getting the same amount of food, it's just at a much higher fat percentage. So and they don't particularly like it. So we find that they um actually end up crumbling it onto the bottom of their cage and just like oh really? obviously not very happy with it. So so yeah.
0: So you've got a control group which mm-hmm. eat, I'm assuming, like healthy food and you've got the unhealthy mice. Yeah. How long do you usually keep them for before you measure their um, the the things you measure for.
1: Yep. So normally we start off. Well, we've we've normally been doing a twelve week um, experiment, but mm-hmm. we've also done a shorter term six week experiment and have also found that the same results can be um, shown in in that short amount of time as well. So six weeks. Okay. Yeah.
0: So do you actually even measure? Do you measure the weight of the mice, to, like mm-hmm. to see like how much actual weight they put on having this diet, and like do you also like Make sure they don't do exercise, like condos, running carts you see in the movies.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they don't actually have any of those. Um, they don't have the little running things in their cages, but they do have sort of toys and stuff. It's funny, obviously we have to monitor their weight to yep. make sure that they're putting on weight and also that they're not losing weight so they're not becoming too sick. But yeah, you can imagine a little tiny 20-gram 20, 20 mouse growing to you know over 30 grams in the space of 12 weeks. That's and
0: a fifty percent increase. Yeah, so
1: eventually. you will definitely notice they behave- They become a lot more lethargic. So when you when you first start working with them, you put your hand into the cage and they all run around crazy, scared of you. Um, and then by the end of it, they're sort of so fat and hopeless that they don't even bother running nice. <laughs> away. <laughs> do
0: you give these? Do you give like mice certain names as well over the twelve weeks, or you don't get too personal? I,
1: I try not to get too personal. They are pretty cute, and yep. that's as far as I go. Okay. I can't. Yeah. Cause right. it's,
0: because in the end of the day, you have to say goodbye to them yeah. the eventually. Mm-mm. With this work, have you been able to um, show any conclusive stuff or interesting results that you would not have expected when you first started your project?
1: Oh, interesting. I don't think so. And not that I've expected to see everything that I have seen, yeah. but I think I came into the project. Well, I came into the projects um, with a little bit of preliminary work being done before me. So I sort of knew that this was going to happen. Yep. It was just a matter of obviously repeating the experiments to make it more significant or to make it significant. Um, so there's
0: So, what do you mean by significant for our non-science viewers?
1: Okay, so if you were... Um, and do an experiment once with one mouse and we found a decrease in the in the cardiovascular disease in that mouse it can be due to a number of factors you know it's just that particular mouse that's fitter or you know leaner or whatever it is so you have to increase sample size so that the results become more significant more it's more likely it's less likely due to chance than it is for the actual yeah. reason
0: so when you have your group of mice um, there can be one outlier that's yes. not going to affect the actual result you get. Yes. Whereas if you get like a massive range throughout it, you know that your experiment isn't fully confident. Like you're not fully confident of results, you might have to repeat it again.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah.
0: Mm. So one last question about the mice work. Do you? This is just a random question. Do you see any differences in male and female mice with the fat accumulation? Because we do see that in humans, the male. Has a lower body fat percentage compared to females, and all that, or yeah. is this not
1: as prevalent in mice? So I don't, I've not noticed any differences between the sexes in body fat um, or putting on weight. They both put on the same amount of weight as a percentage, you know, per strain or per mouse, like per strain of mouse. But it's interesting, at which is which reflects like the human population, that the females actually have. Um, a l- due to the presence of different <coughs> hormones, they actually have less cardiovascular disease to start with. So we actually see that the effect is greater in females, which is why we've now um, removed them. We've limited it, the study to males because okay. we want to get want to get rid of that influence from the female hormones that are that are playing a role. Yeah,
0: interesting. Have you been able? To, um, like, do you know what type of hormones play a role or is that something no no it's estrogen so estrogen. we know that
1: in the human population that um, women who have gone through menopause and are then not producing as much estrogen um, are more likely to suffer from a cardiac event so that's over the age of 55 women um, it becomes a leading cause of death in women as well
0: so, with your second project, you talk mm-hmm. about plaque and building up inflammatory system. So, can you go a bit more in detail into a bit more little detail into that? So, what are you looking at?
1: Yeah. So, um, for a long time, or for the general public, I think cardiovascular disease is marketed as a cholesterol disease, and it is a disease of cholesterol. Cholesterol is involved, um, but it's actually the under the underlying cause is. Um, Is chronic inflammation so just like your rheumatoid arthritis and other inflammatory diseases this is a chronic inflammatory condition so over time um, so the cholesterol builds up in the arteries and that initiates an inflammatory response and just like when you cut yourself on your hand you get a little scab and some pus and the the immune system tries to heal itself so that's exactly what happens in our arteries except the process is dysregulated, and where with the scab, it eventually clears up and mm-hmm. heals completely. That doesn't happen in our arteries, so there's just a constant build-up, um, recruitment and build-up of inflammatory cells trying to heal this, this these problems. Yep. Um, but it's just sort of a vicious cycle. So there are more more inflammatory cells that come along. Um, and then they build up and then they recruit more inflammatory cells and then those ones build up and it's just a a constant cycle.
0: So is this um, inflammatory cells, is this like a genetic trait where like you can see it passed down from generation to generation or is this a build up of the external environment i.e. like with the cholesterol if you eat the unhealthy foods you get a build up of arteries Mm. and doesn't really get passed down as long as you keep a certain healthy lifestyle. Yeah,
1: I don't think it's a, like I don't, believe, I don't, from what, from my research, I don't think that it's a genetic, um, the inflammatory condition itself is a genetic, um, thing. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's actually just an inherent process that happens in all human beings. And there's no, no, it's, it's heavily influenced by environmental factors. So obviously our Western diet, smoking, um, sedentary lifestyle, all of that influences it, but If you were a perfectly healthy individual, you would still have this process happening in your body. And in fact, um, one of the pieces of data that I loved when I first started looking into this was that um, they had done some MRI scans on some ancient Egyptian mummies. Oh, really? And had discovered that they had signs of um, atherosclerosis, the plaques, in their arteries as well. Was there any
0: like... um any big pharaohs that we know about like King Tut or anything like that or I, don't just some, I don't think or they're some peasant to, yeah. I don't type of pharaoh to that just was like the queen's <laughs> sister's maid or something like that yeah
1: probably probably somebody who wasn't very highly regarded yeah. but yeah so that's quite interesting and that really just highlights that it's it's something that happens in all of us as a normal well as a dysregulated part of our bodies and it's exacerbated by our horrible lifestyles
0: no. alright so <laughs> So what's your bit of advice you give to people to try and not get this exacerbated, <laughs> essentially?
1: <laughs> um, I think just be as healthy as possible. Obviously, always try to be as active as possible. It's always hard when you're trying to write a thesis.
0: Oh, yeah. Tell me about that. But,
1: um, you know, just try to eat as healthy, lots of fruit, lots of vegetables, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Totally But I'm no dietician. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah.
0: So, um... Have you presented any of this work at a conference, or have you, are you thinking about like writing up a paper for a journal, or is this still kind of getting more results?
1: Yeah, so I presented um, at a couple of conferences, just a wall a po- poster, mostly posters. Yep. Um, and it's been quite interesting. I've had a lot of interest in the work, and a lot of ideas from um, the scientific community about where I can go and what I can do with with my project. Um, And also, yeah, coming to the third year of well, end of the third year, I'm really trying to get those manuscripts written and out to publish some of this work.
0: Yep, and from experience, this is not an easy process. It's a lot of late nights writing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm. (laughs) excellent.
0: So, um, so what are your kind of plans for the future of this? What's your future plans for this project?
1: Um, so I think with the the information side of things, really trying to establish that our model which is an um an apoptosis or cell death model is actually occurring in vivo so mm-hmm. in a live yep. organism so most of the time most of my experiments are in the in a dish yep so like
0: dish. so basically there's in vivo which is in living organisms mm-hmm. and then there's in vitro which is in lab conditions. so this is kind of like a fake environment
1: yeah yeah it's it's as real as you can get without being in an organism so that's most where most of my work has been and i really just want to move into that those mouse models um and even looking at some human samples to try and show that um, my work or the focus of my work is actually happening in vivo and this is
0: because a lot of times you can do experiments in vitro and then you try and move it into in vivo and you get completely different results that you okay. got in vitro. So you want yep. to be able to be, get consistent results in both your lab best environments and in your actual okay. living organism environment. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yep. so just working towards that.
0: That's sweet. So enough about your PhD project, more about yourself. So what kind of stuff do you do in your extra t- extra time? So we already know that you're a fit person you go to the gym four times a week. What else do you kind of do during your PhD? Like what have you done? Do you like demonstrate, do you have a part-time job?
1: Yeah, so I actually um, I've been involved in demonstrating since my first year of my PhD. Yep. So I've demonstrated for the um, biomedical science class, which third years, third year university students in that class, which is also the subject that I took here five years ago. Um, so I thought, why not give back? And because um, she gets paid. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, since so that was in the first year, and then I had the opportunity to um, become the lead demonstrator for that practical as well so I took on that role too and yeah I'm really enjoying the teaching side of things at university.
0: Awesome that's awesome here um have you done anything for like the department like in societies or anything?
1: Well funny you should ask again I've been involved in the biochemistry society so um a couple of years ago now the society was pretty much non-existent it had just completely fallen apart um and I was asked by a couple of senior members in the department to get a group of students together um, and get the the society up and running again. And I managed to recruit your fine self, which was a great decision, I think. Um, And together we worked on um, coordinating events within the department to try and get us all talking to each other and, you know, collaborating and, and...
0: just kind of get to know each other because yeah. sometimes you can get so bogged down in your own work, mm-hmm. you don't really have time to socialise with the people you literally work ten metres away from
1: Yeah. And I mean it's quite a big department too. Like I still see people every day that I sort of go, Who's that? or where do you belong? That so, is completely true. I, know, I think the aim of the society back then was to yeah, get get as many things happening in the department that people would come along to and see each other and talk to each other yeah. and get those things happening. Yeah,
0: I can add to this. We also we did like fun little events, so like Melbourne Cup, we had like a Melbourne Cup suite. That was easily one of our most popular so things ever, which we had departments. We had a department in a little staff room watching the race on a fifth, on a thirty-three inch TV. Um, just to kind of bring the end to this interview, so thanks so far for taking a part in the pilot run. No, I, um, I just want to go through like a final five questions, kind of just a quick fire way to end the end oh, the talk. Okay. So first question. Do you prefer doing a poster presentation or an oral presentation?
1: I think I've had my fair share of posters and I'm really like really eager to do a talk, so hopefully something coming up I'll be able to do a talk.
0: Awesome. Are you more of a coffee person or a Red Bull person?
1: Oh, definitely coffee. Red Bull is no good, no good for you. <laughs>
0: Fair, fair. Are you more of a person to do late nights at uni or would you come on a weekend to do work?
1: I'm an early morning, not so much weekend, but I'm an early morning person. I can be yep. here like at 6.30 and have no problem with it at all.
0: But the moment you stay here when it gets dark, you're not happy yeah. with
1: it? Yeah, the moment like 10 o'clock comes, I need to be in bed asleep at 10pm. Yeah.
0: So, she's a PhD student <laughs> that also has the mentality of a 60 year old nana. Yeah, yeah. Which is... huh? What's your favourite TV show currently?
1: Oh, I've just finished and have been completely obsessed with *Oranges and New Black*. Mm-mm.
0: Fair enough. Mm-hmm. That's the one of Ruby Rose. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> final question is: What's your favorite thing about PhD life?
1: My favorite thing about PhD life. I think it can be quite challenging. I think you can go through a lot of long periods of challenging times when your experiments don't work, or you're, you're direct you're going in the wrong direction, or you're like you're not getting anywhere, and then something will just happen and. Those moments are when you just go, wow, this is actually worth it. I'm actually yep. doing something real and productive with my life. So I think those few moments that you get occasionally yep. is what just makes you keep going. How, how often are these moments? Uh, few and far between. <laughs> I've had one this year so far. That's all right. One's better than none.
0: <laughs> awesome. Yep. Well, thanks for that, Steph. No problem. Um, as the first person I'm in for this podcast, hopefully this was a bearable podcast for mm-hmm. all, all the new listeners that happen to listen to this hopefully you guys subscribe if you have any suggestions feel free to leave any comments below in the comments section on either the SoundCloud Facebook or the iTunes browser thank you very much thanks for listening all episodes can be found on the PhD Podcast Facebook page you can subscribe via iTunes on Apple listen on SoundCloud or add the podcast to your favourite RSS feed have any thoughts feel free to leave a comment on the Facebook page or on iTunes or on SoundCloud as I hope to read them all. Once again, thank you for listening.